Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 54. Verses 1 through 6, we have the blessings of restoration. Verses 7 through 10, mercy bestowed. Verses 11 through 14, we have the earthly glory of Jerusalem. In verses 15 through 17, we have Jehovah keeps and defends his people. I'll repeat those. 1 through 6, the blessings of restoration. 7 through 10, mercy bestowed. 11 through 14, the earthly glory of Jerusalem. And 15 through 17, Jehovah keeps and defends his people. Now then, in between, we have a lot of things that we need to study. Now, if you'll notice the first verse, it says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. If you'll notice that it begins with singing, this chapter does. And if you'll remember, the 53rd chapter spoke of the cross. So after the cross, the singing. The singing for Israel as a nation will come after they recognize the one whom they have pierced. It says in the future, when they shall look on upon him whom they have pierced, then they shall mourn for him as an only son. And there will, their uh, mourning will then be turned into to joy and gladness because they will recognize him as Savior. Israel will someday know the meaning of Isaiah 53. Now then, by the way, this is also uh, in order for you and I who have recognized Christ as our Savior and Lord. In Isaiah 53, and, and I don't know how many were here when we studied the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, but it tells of Christ's death and His burial and His resurrection and the seed. He shall see His seed. In other words, those the fruit that He will bring, the spiritual fruit as a result of His death, burial, and resurrection. And his days shall be prolonged, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And how that he was numbered for, with the transgressors and made intercession for the transgressors as well. And so we find that Jesus, after doing this on the cross for you and I, brings a joy to our hearts as well in singing. But here the nation of Israel is primarily in view. And if you notice this verse again, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. In times past they were barren. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, Thou that didst not travail with child. She had not been travailing. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Let's stop there and look in the book of Galatians chapter 4. Paul quotes this verse to show that free grace is far more productive of fruit to God than the marriage with the law. And he uh, uses Abraham and his two sons. And let's begin reading with verse 22. It says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondmaid, a bondwoman, was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was, was of promise. Which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants. In other words, these two sons born to Abraham represent two covenants. And these two uh, uh, ladies, women, that brought forth these two sons, which was Sarah and Hagar, are representative of the two covenants. And it says, these two co- are, which are things that are an allegory, for these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which, 
which gendereth bondage. So the law that came from Mount Sinai genders bondage, which is Agar or Hagar. That's who Hagar represents is the bondage because uh, Ishmael was born of Hagar and therefore of bondage. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So this is typ- typical of uh, the son and the covenant of grace that was under uh, Sarah and the promise that was made to Abraham that Sarah would bear a, a child in her old age. And so Abraham would be the father of many nations. And, and here uh, Paul says that she's free. It's typical of the covenant of grace and of promise that God made to Abraham, which is the mother of us all. Then it says, for it is written. And now uh, Paul quotes this verse in Isaiah. He says, For it is written, Rejoice thou barren that bearest not, break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of the promise. So that's as far as we need to read, or else we'll get into another lesson of the flesh and of the spirit. But let's uh, stop there and, and understand that when Paul quotes this verse, and use this verse in New, the New Testament, he is showing us that free grace is far more productive of fruit, spiritual fruit to God, than marriage with the law. And so when we read Isaiah 54, verse 1, and it says that the desolate hath many more children, the children of the desolate, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. So legally and lawfully, and by the law, the Lord was married to, to um, Israel of old, but under free grace, the children are far more than they would uh, be, have been. And when the Gentiles are brought into the family of God and the kingdom of God, you can see how the numbers will multiply and how great will be the fruitfulness of God's people altogether. Now, verse 2 says, Enlarge the place of thy tent. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitations. Spare not, lengthen thy cords, and strengthen thy stakes. For thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left. In other words, the great uh, fruitfulness and the great uh, multiplication of, uh, of God's children will be so great that he says you have to stretch forth and reach forth and spare not. And he says, break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. So the Gentiles as well as the Jews will inherit the lands that God God has promised. Verse 4, he says, fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt uh, not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shall not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. Thou shalt, what? Not forget. Thou shalt forget, rather, the shame of thy youth. In God, God in speaking to Israel and the nation and His people, considered their youth. And their youth may refer to their enslavement, their beginning, when they were just uh, young as a nation and people. Their enslavement in Egypt. God says, when Israel was a child, I called my son out of Egypt. Speaks of the youth. 
And then the widowhood may refer to her captivity in Babylon when she was divorced or separated from God. You know, God had considered uh, him himself uh, in a relationship of marriage with his nation and his people. So the youth may in, uh, in, uh, include her enslavement in Egypt while the widowhood, her captivity in Babylon. But God says that they're going to put these things behind them. They're going to forget them. They're going to forget their enslavement and they're going to forget their captivity. And brighter things are going to happen to them. Good things are going to happen to them. So look at this. In the middle of verse 4, For thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood any more. For thy maker is thine husband. So it seems now this relationship between God and His people is restored. Thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is His name. And thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall, be, shall He be called. You see what's happened? God says you're going to forget all those things. You're going to forget your enslavement. You're going to forget your captivity. Uh, you're going to forget your youth and your widowhood and all the sorrows that you've had. And now, He says, Thy Maker is thine husband. You're going to be brought back into a holy, divine relationship with God. The Lord of hosts is His name. And the, thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel... And He applies Himself so closely to them, so infinitely close to them. The God of the whole earth shall He be called, because He's going to extend out to all nations and people. Verse 6 says, For the Lord hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. Israel was like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. And a wife of youth, when thou wast refused, saith thy God. For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. This is a good verse of Scripture, isn't it? God said for a small moment, because of Israel's sins in the past, many things had come upon them. Not only their enslavement in Egypt, but their captivity. All their sorrows through the years before the captivity. Remember when they came out of Egypt and came into Canaan's land and they refused to do what God told them to do. In the book of Joshua, in the book of Judges, they were told to, to do certain things and, and what they failed to do, these Canaanites and Amorites and Hittites and Girgashites and all the ites of the land became thorns in their sides because they were to be put away. And they were typical of you and I when we do not put away the sins of the flesh and the things that God has told us to put away in our lives, they become thorns in our flesh and they bother us from now on. So, for a while they had been forsaken, seemingly. But with great mercies will I gather thee. Now then, verses 7 through 10, we find this mercy is beginning to be bestowed. It says, In a little wrath I hid my face from thee. For a moment. It seems like a long time. But look what God says. It was a moment. Let's put it in our own application. Our own personal lives. Sometimes we go through life and we have a trial. And it seems so long and so long. Maybe days or months or even years. We put up with something. But God says 
And considering that, it's only a moment in the sight of what Israel went through. But God says Israel's trials were but for a moment. You see, when we go through things, we suffer uh, the trials, and it seems like a long time. But God says, for a moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. In a little wrath I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. You know, just as God made a covenant with Noah in the next verse, so he will. So now, with Israel, in the future, in the millennium, his covenant will stand with Israel. And they will never experience his rebuke or his wrath again. Look at this ninth verse. For this... This is as the waters of Noah unto me. This is like the waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. God says, just as I made a covenant with Noah that the flood would not cover the earth anymore, and God gave the sign of that covenant, a bow in the sky, the rainbow in the clouds, and He says it's going to be a token for an everlasting covenant. Now, we've seen a lot of floods and waters and things, but we've never seen it cover the earth since the days of Noah. The history has not said anything about it anywhere we read of, because God has kept His Word. And just as God has kept His Word with uh, Noah and that covenant with Noah, He made a covenant with Israel. And He said concerning them that uh, I have sworn that I would not be wroth with thee nor rebuke thee. In other words, God would restore His mercy and bestow His mercy upon them. And He guarantees that by making a covenant. And He says, just as those waters were and that covenant was, so shall this covenant be with His people. For the mountains shall depart and the hills shall be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord that hath mercy on thee. He says, I've made a covenant of peace with my nation and my people. And God has done that he, with, with Israel of old, and God has made a covenant of grace with you and I. And just as sure as God kept His covenant with Noah, and just as sure as God is keeping His covenant with the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, and has promised that in the future they shall be restored, and in the millennium they shall rejoice, so will He keep the covenant of grace. How much more through the covenant relationship that we have with Jesus Christ, when God says that He'll save us by the blood of Christ and He will keep us forever and we'll be with Him in glory, how much more shall He keep that covenant that is sealed with the blood of Christ? Someone says, well, you know, I don't know what Israel has to do with our security. It has everything to do with our security because you can go back and see what God has done. You can go back and see how faithful He is to His promise. And you can look at yourself and see how faithful He's going to be to His promise He's made to you. Suppose we look in the Bible and we find that God uh, flooded the earth again and He didn't keep His covenant with Noah. Suppose we looked in the Bible and we find that God uh, made a covenant with Israel and yet He cast them out and they were no longer His people. Then come along in the New Testament and we have the record that Christ died for our sins and we have the covenant of grace. How do we know that covenant will not be broken? 
But we have all the positive word that he has kept his covenant with every promise that he ever made. He has never failed in one thing that he said he would do. So that ought to give us security. And that ought to give us safety and peace. Look at verse 10 again. For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. Now then, verses 11 through 14 show us the earthly glory of Jerusalem. It says, O thou afflicted, tossed with tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors, and lay thy foundations with sapphires. I will make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. In righteousness shalt thou be established. Thou shalt be far from oppression for thou shalt not fear from and from terror for it shall not come near thee. You see, the glory of the earthly uh, Jerusalem will be restored. God says, though they were afflicted and they, though they, they were tossed with a tempest, though they were not comforted, God says they will, He will restore them and beautify them. And in verse 13, divine education will be given to all. Look at verses 11 and 12. You see, the, out of the affliction and out of the tempest, He's going to lay stones with fair colors and lay the foundations with sapphires and Make thy windows of agates and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. You read over in the book of Revelation of the description of the holy city, don't you? And all the glory of that holy city that God has promised that He will uh, give. And then in verse 13, look, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. All thy children shall be taught. Divine education will be given to all. To learn of the things of God is very important. Just like Brother Randy was saying a little bit ago. Learn the Scripture and study the Word of God. You need to do that and make it a part of your life. The Bible says in the Psalms, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You know, there have been men that have been put in prison in places where they had no Bible, but previously they had put the Bible in their hearts and the Word in their hearts. And that could not be taken away. They could take away the book. They could take away the Word, but they couldn't take it out of their hearts. And if you'll hide it in your hearts, you'll have that much. There may be a day that that's all you'll have left. It's sad to say with so many Bibles round about us, isn't it? And going, being able to go in and buy one in almost any store uh, in the community, you can almost get a Bible. You can get a Bible almost anywhere. But there may be a day that they'll be scarce, and uh, the Bible teaches of a, a famine of the word. And there's a famine of the word in many areas today. There's a famine of the word of God in many hearts today as well. So it says, and all thy children shall be taught of the Lord. There's no greater way to be taught of the Lord than to be taught the Bible. And it says, and great shall be the peace of thy children. What's the result of all thy children being taught of the Lord? And great shall be the peace of thy children. It seems that the more that people are educated in God's word, the the greater the peace of heart. The Bible says, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace 
whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. That will keep him in perfect peace. And so let's learn to trust in the Word of God. I mean, trust in God and let His Word bring the peace that it needs to bring. In verse 14 it says, In righteousness shalt thou be established, thou shalt be far from oppression. Not only for Israel in the future, not only for God's people as He's promised, but our safety and our uh, establishment is seen here and our foundation will be established in righteousness. For thou shalt not fear from, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. The Bible teaches us that we have divine protection as well. Verses 15 through 17 shows us that Jehovah keeps and defends his people. Look at verse 15. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. They can gather together. Against Jerusalem. They can gather together against God's people in the future. And remember they shall in the days of uh, the book of Revelation. In the tribulation period. And at Armageddon they will be gathered against God's people. And yet it says they will not be gathered by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. God is going to protect them in the future. And God has always also given us protection in the future. He says, Behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the water to destroy it. And then he says, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. It shows here that God will vindicate Israel in the future. But God will also vindicate you and I. You turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. In verse 34 it says, Who is he that condemneth? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Look at verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God justifies, doesn't he? It's God that justifies. If anyone was going to charge God's elect, God could charge us because we're sinners. But God's not going to charge us because we're saved by grace. And so anyone on the outside other than God Himself, it says it is God that justifies. And if we're justified in the sight of God, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Just call the roll. Look around. Shall uh, demons, shall enemies, shall opposition... Shall all the persecution around us lay anything to, to our charge? God says He justifies, so you just as well forget it. And then it says, Who is He that condemneth? It is Christ that died. He died for our sins. And He doesn't condemn us, so who else could condemn us? Yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. And if He makes intercession for us, certainly no one can condemn us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. doesn't say we're just conquerors. That would be good enough, wouldn't it? But we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded. Now this is Paul's uh, conclusion and persuasion. For I am persuaded that neither death, 
Look at these things mentioned. Nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, nor anything else you can name of, as, uh, think of, he's saved, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's pretty secure, isn't it? You read verse 17 again of Isaiah 54. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. I asked you a while back to memorize that. I hope some of you have. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment, thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Now I want you to look at Isaiah 55. I realize that... uh, We've had about a 25-minute lesson. We got started late. But this is a, a chapter that has to do with salvation's offer and provision. Salvation's offer and provision. Now, the invitation to everyone and the promises given in verses 1 and 2. I don't know how far we'll get with this. But in verses 3 through 5, you have the sure mercies of David. Verses 6 through 7, you have the exhortation to seek God and to forsake sin. And in verses 8 through 11, God's thoughts and God's ways are brought out. And then verses 12 and 13, the joy, peace, and glory of the future. But let's look at this. Salvation's offer and provision is found in this chapter. The first two verses, the invitation to everyone and the promise given. It says, Ho, get your attention. Ho, listen. Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Buy without money. Yea, yea, come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. So these two verses are wonderful. They have, they're full of meaning. Now then, The invitation to everyone that thirsteth. First of all, let's notice that you must be one that thirsts in order to find that you're invited. Because, ho, everyone that thirsteth. That's who he's talking about. Someone that needs salvation. Someone that's thirsting for forgiveness. Someone that's really thirsting for a change in their life to be different than it it is ordinarily by nature. When men go around burdened with sin. So, he, he's looking for folks that are thirsting and wanting and needing. And he says, come ye to the waters. The waters may represent the Holy Spirit and the blessings that flow upon us as a result of the Holy Spirit's presence and because of salvation. And he that hath no money, he says, come ye buy and eat. In other words, it's free of free grace. You don't have to pay for it. What God is promising here, the invitation... And the promise to everyone of salvation is what? For free. God invites you to come freely. You can't buy it. And most of us, uh, we're seen as if we have no money. And yet we're going to buy. And we're going to eat. And we're going to buy wine and milk. Wine is symbolical of joy and milk of the good Word of God. The milk of the Word. The Bible says, Peter says, 
First Peter chapter 1, I believe it's verse 2, he says, Desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Desire it. How many people desire the sincere? That means, the word sincere means sun-tested. It means, uh, it has no, you take a, a glass, and they used to take a little wax and rub in the crack where you couldn't tell it was broken. But you hold that up to the sun and reveal, oh, there's a crack there. Sincere means sun-tried or sun-tested. It means unadulterated. It means pure. It means clean. So it says, desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Now then, uh, if you'll see here, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy, eat. Yea, come by wine. That's the joy. Symbolical of joy. And... And milk, that is the Word of God, without money and without price. It's a gift of grace. You do not earn it. You can't buy it. And then it goes on to show how some people try to buy something that satisfies and they, they cannot find it. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? People are going about spending money to try to buy satisfaction, but you can't buy it. It said, you know, someone put out the... Uh, question for the general public to give a definition of what uh, about money and what it would do. And one person said, "Money will take you anywhere you but to heaven and buy anything but salvation." So money could take you around the world, and but it and it'll buy anything you want to buy but salvation. So that might be a pretty good dis- definition of money. Uh, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread? And a lot of people spend it for pleasures. They spend it for uh, material things. And they seem to want to store it up and just have more when they die than they had when they began. If you use it all up, well, what difference does it make? You're not going to take it with you, are you? The only thing you can do is leave it for the rest of your family, so enjoy it while you're here. So, and two, it wouldn't be bad if you left it and you were sure that some would get it and benefit from it. But the thing about it is, it shows us that the real value of salvation and the things of God. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Is satisfaction found in material blessings alone? No. Is satisfaction found in uh, buying uh, temp- uh, temporal things? Is satisfaction found in uh, the money itself? It isn't. It's good to prepare for your sicknesses and for your old age and use it for the purpose for which you've labored and to eat of the fruit of your hands and the work of your hands. And that is good in the sight of God. You read the book of Ecclesiastes and it says all above that and beyond that is vanity and vexation of spirit. And your labor for that which satisfieth not. It says, Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Now he says, Incline your ear and come unto me. And it says, Hear, and your soul shall live. In other words, you have to hear God. You have to come to God. Listen to God and then come to God. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. In the New Testament, the sure mercies of David are spoken of. That God kept every promise to David. And then David kept the things. He, he was full of mercy toward uh, the people. 
David was an example, a human, earthly example of mercy. Remember when the blind man cried out to Jesus? He said, have mercy upon me, thou son of David. Because he knew that David was merciful. And he says, the son of David, according to the flesh, would be merciful. And so he looked to Jesus and cried out, have mercy upon me, the son of David. The sure mercies of David are promised. Incline your ear and come unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. People need to hear and they need to come. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Behold, I have given him for a witness to the people and a leader and a commander to the people. Behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Then in verses 6 and 7, we find that the exhortation is to seek and to forsake. Look, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Look at these two verses. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Here's God's gracious offer of pardon and peace. It's not in vain to seek God. When His Word is calling, His Spirit is striving, and there may be a time that it will not be so. There must be a change in a way of a, and a change of life. There must be a change of way and a change of mind and a change of life. To repent means to turn to the Lord. And God will abundantly pardon. It says, Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. You know, God's Holy Spirit, God said to, concerning Noah, My Spirit shall not always strive with man. That he is also flesh. My spirit shall not always strive with man. God's Holy Spirit strives with men today. And you know, when God's Holy Spirit deals with you and deals with you and strives with you and tries to get you to turn to Him and to repent of sin and receive Christ as your Savior and you just push it off and say, another time, another day, another service, another sermon, uh, another year. And you say, well, right before I die, and you don't know when that's going to be. Look at the Kennedy boy run into a tree, didn't he? Playing on the snow. And people do things. And tragedies do happen. And it's just an example. There are many round about us. You could call any others that we've seen in the, last, in the holidays. During the holidays, there have been many. One fellow pushed his wife out of the, out of the house that was burning. And uh, to save her, because he was burning up, and he did die in the fire, and she got to the hospital, and that's about all, and she died. The fire trucks couldn't get through the barricades and stuff up in Albuquerque. Did you see it on the news and hear it on the news? Sometimes when you fence yourself in, you uh, fence others out, you fence yourself in. So don't do that. Uh, the fire truck couldn't get through. What about the emergency uh, vehicles? Uh, Lance knows about that. So you've got to have room to get in and get to people and help people when the time. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. So the Holy Spirit deals with people time and time again. And sometimes we listen and sometimes we do not. But if there's a, ever a pulling at your heart and a burden in your heart and it just keeps on nagging at you to turn to God and for salvation and you refuse. We used to quote a little saying that says, There is a line unseen by man that crosses every path, the hidden boundary between 
God's patience and His wrath. I have a message and I'm going to preach it one of these days pretty soon. God's patience wears out. When God's patience wears out, and it does come to an end. So, seek ye the Lord while He may be found. There's time and opportunity. Call ye upon Him while He is near. And He is near to, to us. Let the wicked forsake his way. It doesn't say just repent of his way, but forsake his way. And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. You see, our thoughts are not like God's thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Now, verses 8 to 11 show God's thoughts and God's ways. He says, the reason you need to do this, forsake your own thoughts, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's ways are higher, and God's thoughts are higher. By the way, God knows the thoughts of our heart. God knows everything about us. He not only knows what we say and what we do and what others can see, but He knows what we do not say and what we do not do and what is in our heart, the very depths of our heart. The Bible uh, teaches that God knows our thoughts uh, afar off. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord upon the ways of man, He he seeth all His goings. He's the all-seeing God. He says, There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. The Bible says, The eyes of the Lord are upon the ways of man. He seeth all His goings. He's beholding the evil and the good. He beholds the evil and the good as well. There are many other... Scriptures that teach us God's knowing of our ways. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner, listen, of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And then it says in verse 13, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, God sees us. He sees everything, inside and out. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. You find that God's word is going to have its effect. Just like the rain and the snow that comes down waters the ground and it brings forth fruit. So God's word is going out and it's not going to return to him void. Verse 12 and 13 will close. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Look, the peace and the joy, the joy and peace and glory of the future. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing. God sees as if the things that of nature, the mountains and the hills. We know the mountains do not sing. We know the hills do not sing, but they do. You see? It says, they'll break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. God sees nature rejoicing. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be of, to the Lord for 
uh, a name for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. The blessings, the joy of the future, and the glory of the future is spoken of here. Well, we've tried to give you a few things of chapter 54 and 55. Our next lesson will be chapter 56 when we study it again of Isaiah.